You jealous, girly? Give me a little marking. Hey, I'm talking to you. If you want it so much, all you gotta do is kill me. Take it. Now, oh, come on, what do you say? You wanna dance? Hi, welcome to To the 90s and Beyond. My name is Vince Leo. I'm the author of the film review website, Quipster.net. I've been doing film reviews for 25 years now. You can read all of my written work at Quipster.net, Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R.net. While you're there, I do encourage you to check out my companion podcast to this one. It's called Around the World in 80s Movies, looking specifically at, you guessed it, films of the 1980s. Check out the link at my website, Quipster.net. Today, I'm going to be getting into the final of the Mortal Kombat films I'm going to be reviewing for right now. There is a sequel that may come to this film at some point. Maybe I'll cover it. Maybe I won't. It depends. Because To the 90s and Beyond looks at films not only from the 1990s, but films that were connected to those films of the 1990s. So as long as they stay connected in some form or fashion, I will continue to review them. And I'm covering the 2021 version of Mortal Kombat today. And that's primarily because it still lists as executive producer Larry Kazanoff, who produced the original 1990s films. It may be only in name. It may be part of a settlement that they had between Warner Brothers and him. And he did nothing. But his name is on the movies. And so, therefore, I get to review it for you today. There are also a number of Easter eggs and callbacks to those original films from the 1990s as well. 2021's Mortal Kombat is actually quite different from those ones from the 1990s in one very key way. It's an R-rated film this time. Very strong, bloody violence, has language throughout, some crude references as well. Definitely not going for that family-friendly vibe that the originals were. The runtime here is an hour and 50 minutes. The cast includes Louis Tan, Jessica McNamee, Josh Lawson, Joe Taslim, Makad Brooks, Matilda Kimber, Laura Brent, Tadanobu Asano, Hiroyuki Sanada, Chin Han, Ludi Lin, Max Wong, and Sissy Stringer. The director is Simon McCoy, and the screenplay credited to Greg Russo and Dave Callahan. Now, before I get into the review today, I do want to talk a little bit about what happened between their attempts, Larry Kasanov's attempt, to try to do a third Mortal Kombat film, and this attempt to do a reboot, essentially, of the Mortal Kombat franchise. After over a decade of being in development hell, Larry Kasanov, the producer of those first two Mortal Kombat films, he tried to make a third Mortal Kombat theatrical entry, but it went into permanent doubt when Midway Games, the manufacturer of the Mortal Kombat arcade fighting games, they filed for bankruptcy in February of 2009. And at that time, many of Midway's assets, including the rights to most of their video game properties, they were bought by Warner Brothers. They were the sole bidder for them. They bid $33 million. Now, because these rights included Mortal Kombat, there was a lawsuit that was filed by Kasnoff under his company, Threshold Entertainment. And that's because Kasnoff claimed that he still held 
exclusive intellectual property rights to the Mortal Kombat film and TV rights, and that the value of the intellectual property of Mortal Kombat itself mostly came from Threshold Entertainment's promotional efforts over the years through their movies. The games were not doing as well at the time. Although Warner Brothers had previously acquired those films following mergers with Turner Broadcasting System as well as New Line Cinema, so kind of a moot issue it seems there, but... Kasnoff did promote two younger people a lot with those movies, as well as cartoons and merchandise, and he thought that Threshold should retain the rights to everything that was Mortal Kombat outside of the games. The lawsuit didn't really pan out that well, but eventually it was settled out of court. Each side signed a non-disclosure agreement. Now, shortly afterward, news did emerge that the third film was moving forward through Warner Brothers this time with promising new screenwriter Orn Uziel. He was a hot commodity at the time. He had a script called Shimmer Lake. It was on the Hollywood industry blacklist, among the best unproduced screenplays at the time. They asked Paul W.S. Anderson if he was going to come back. He publicly stated that he had not been talked to directly by Warner Brothers, but he did have great affection for the property and would definitely be interested if they needed a director. However, before they could move further, Larry Kasnoff, he slapped Warner Brothers with another lawsuit, and this time he claimed that there was a breach of contract because they failed to work with Threshold Entertainment in the development and production of a third Mortal Kombat film. So, during this delay, the people spearheading the Warner Mortal Kombat development, they left the company, leaving Uziel's script and the entire production in limbo yet again. In the meantime, a choreographer and music video specialist named Kevin Tancherowen, he was the director of the 2009 Didn't Do So Hot remake of Fame, he started to make a push. He wanted to get Mortal Kombat back on the schedule because he was a big fan. He offered his own directorial services. Warner was, they were skeptical that Tancherowen had the skills to handle this all-out action fantasy. Tancherowen, he f was frustrated by feeling pigeonholed by Warner here. He felt that he was never going to get a shot to make the kind of movies that he wanted if he did not craft some sort of demo reel to show what he could do. So he secured Uziel again. He happened to be a personal friend of Tancherowen, and he brought him aboard to help script a short film concept based on Mortal Kombat, the games, to prove to Warner that he was the right person for the job. So Tancherowen and Uziel, their short film placed Mortal Kombat into a, a much more realistic setting. They didn't have the budget to do much more than that. Michael J. White, Jerry Ryan, and Ian Anthony Dale, they appeared as Jax, Sonya Blade, and Scorpion, respectively, in this. They had a few other actors brought on board as well. And once complete, this eight-minute film that Tancheron put together, it was only meant for Warner's eyes at the time. It was called Mortal Kombat Rebirth. It inadvertently leaked. Tancheron had posted it to YouTube, but he did not set it as private. So it went public, and once the fans came across it, it became a worldwide viral internet sensation. It quickly racked up over the next few months, 10 million views. Now, for those several months, Tancheron, he was kind of afraid. He thought that uh, he was going to hear from Warner Brothers, not the way he wanted. They were probably going to come after him with their legal department because of the copyright issues. But as a result of this overwhelming buzz that was generated by Mortal Kombat Rebirth, Warner Brothers, they actually brought him in to pitch what he would do if he was given a feature. Now, eventually, their collective ideas morphed into not a feature, but the production of uh, what ended up being a very successful 2011 Machinima web series called Mortal Kombat Legacy. And the web series performed well enough that Tancherowen remained the top choice when New Line decided that they were going to move forward with the feature again in 2012. And Tancherowen continued working with Uziel on an all-new screenplay. This would be a standalone story, different than the web series and also the prior films. Uziel wrote what he calls a hard R reimagining of Mortal Kombat, a very dark, 
a plot line that might remind people of Marvel's The Avengers, but if it had the pull-no-punches style of like the film Wanted, as well as a dark revenge undercurrent similar to The Crow. Tancheron went online, he teased script excerpts on Instagram, and he revealed that it had characters like Scorpion and Sub-Zero and Jackson Cabal. And it was also going to be an all-new character. That New Line execs, they basically insisted that they put a new character into the story that would be somebody new to the realm of Mortal Kombat, so that he would ask all of the necessary questions that audiences who might be unfamiliar with the game would ask as they tried to follow along so people would not get lost. It's been a while since we've had a Mortal Kombat film, and not everybody plays the Mortal Kombat game. So this was going to be the way that they could have some success with those people who were not hardcore fans. However, the project itself did fall back into limbo because there were difficulties trying to limit their ultimate concept to $50 million in budget. Due to the indefinite delay, as they tried to retool, Tancheron ended up leaving in 2013. He wanted to do other things, although the following year, in 2014, he did attempt to return for a third season of Mortal Kombat Legacy. That did not necessarily come about, but in 2015, James Wan, the director and producer of many big budget films over the years, he was a longtime fan of the games as well. He was announced as the producer, along with Todd Garner. Now, Garner happened to be a protege of producer Jerry Bruckheimer, and so he developed Bruckheimer's outlook on trying to find directors who were experienced in packaging commercials to try to take charge of feature films. And so for a new Mortal Kombat, Garner pursued award-winning Australian commercial director Simon McCoyd because Garner had been watching commercials and he choked up with tears while he was viewing this Duracell commercial that McCoyd directed that played during the Super Bowl. And the ad featured kids, they were running around on the set of Star Wars, and at the end you find out they're actually in a hospital. It was all kind of make-believe that they were doing while they were there. Garner was astounded by this commercial because specifically McCoy's ability to create such a great emotional moment in such a limited time frame and to do it with all of the eye-popping visuals he might expect from a big screen release. He thought, you know, imagine what a director like this could do if he were given an entire feature. McCoy also came with some cred within the gaming industry because he had also directed commercials for uh, popular games like Xbox's Halo series of games, and he also did a much ballyhooed commercial for Sony called Long Live Play. So he seemed like the perfect person that could bring Mortal Kombat to life. Unfortunately, McCoy, he did not like the Uziel script when he read it. He felt it had relentless bleakness. He thought this was not something he was interested in at that time, so he turned it down. So Garner, he was dismayed by being rejected by McCoy. So he re-examined what Tancheroan and Uziel had done, and he did agree. It could use some lightening up. Times have changed over the years. Today's audiences prefer more broad, maybe more funny films, like the ones that were made by Marvel. So Greg Russo, who happened to be working at New Line at the time, he was doing a, a sequel to this tornado flick called Into the Storm. And Russo also happened to be a huge fan of the Mortal Kombat games. And Russo, he became very friendly with some of the executives there at New Line. He found out that they were contemplating a reboot of Mortal Kombat. So he told them, hey, he would love the chance to work on it. And when it looked like they were going to make Mortal Kombat for sure, New Line recommended Russo to James Wan, who hired him right away to make those changes necessary to turn the Uziel script into something that was much more fun and expansive. So Russo retold the script. He used Marvel's The Avengers as his blueprint to address McCoy's issues with it, as well as his own feeling that somehow that script still did not feel enough like the game in terms of its mythology and its characters, at least the way that he envisioned them. 
And Russo wanted to develop much more emotion into the story. And so he determined, you know, maybe the most emotional character back history of all of the characters in Mortal Kombat happened to be Scorpion. And so he decided to start the film in his script in 17th century Japan, where Hanzo Hisashi and his wife are murdered along with the rest of his people at the hands of Sub-Zero, except for his son, which many generations later will fit into this story set in the modern day with the new protagonist named Cole Young. And we would learn why he's chosen to battle for Earthrealm. He would be a direct descendant of Hanzo Hisashi. Now, in 2016, McCoy read the script again, and he felt, well, it still needed more work, but he liked it a lot more. And so he signed on as director so he could work with Russo on fine-tuning all of those things that he felt would get it into better shape. So Russo and McCoy Skyped between the U.S. and Australia every day on things to work on and things to get going in the direction that they and the producers in the studio could be satisfied with. James Wan said that they were going to take their time on this. There was no rush on it. And, but everybody involved, whether it's New Line or Warner or McCoy or anybody else, they would have to sign on and say, okay, now we feel this is ready to go. So it took all the way till 2019 when Russo announced that the script was finally ready and that they would be moving forward with pre-production. Now, Wan wanted to make sure if they were going to make this film, they wanted to retain an Asian lead for the film, one that audiences would readily identify with, despite more popular characters and more revered actors in the cast. It was easier to start fresh. We would learn the back history of the tournament and its combatants through the eyes of somebody new here, Cole Young. And that's because, you know, making films only for hardcore game fans, that's very limiting. So when you make a film as expansive as Mortal Kombat, it costs a lot of money to put together. You need to appeal more to audiences who may never have touched the game at all. And that means making it make sense from the first frame with no assumptions that the viewer comes in with any kind of pre-knowledge of these characters or the tournament premise. Having a new main character meant they didn't have to rewrite any of the backstories of the established game characters to fit that mold, so it, it seemed to be a good idea. But they still wanted to remain true to the actual game characters that people have come to know and love among Mortal Kombat fans, and they wanted to showcase them as well as they'd ever been represented to those fans who were expecting that. So the completed script mainly features this MMA cage fighter named, as I said, Cole Young, somebody who usually takes a dive for money when he's in the arena. But Young doesn't know that his heritage is tied to the ancient ninja Hanzo Hasashi, and that his dragon-shaped birthmark means that he's actually chosen to compete in this Mortal Kombat tournament for the fate of Earthrealm. Every generation, this happens. Outworld sorcerer Emperor Shang Tsung is out to get Young, sending his best warrior, Sub-Zero, to snuff him out. But Young finds out more about why, when he meets Jax, this major in the U.S. Special Forces with the same special dragon symbol, and Jax directs Cole to seek out a fellow special ops soldier named Sonya Blade. And soon, they all find themselves in the temple of Lord Raiden, this elder god who is the protector of Earthrealm, and, and Raiden's providing sanctuary for all from Earthrealm who bear the sacred mark that they have, although Sonya doesn't have it at this point, but including the fireball-flinging Liu Kang and the metal-helmeted Kung Lao, and this nasty disposition crime boss named Kano. Now, their mission is to prepare themselves through martial arts training to take on the evil warriors of Outworld, which is set to take over Earthrealm if they win one more interdimensional Mortal Kombat tournament. And the training has the capability of unleashing each warrior's arcana, this special power that emanates from their souls. Cole must not only save his family from harm, find his arcana, but also compete in the Mortal Kombat tournament on the hope that he could save everybody from falling under Outworld's eventual dominion. 
Now, the portrayer of Cole Young in this film is Louis Tan. Louis Tan is a lifelong, pretty much, martial artist. He was a stunt person for a long time and then became an actor like his father, Philip. His father, Philip, warned Lewis that uh, being an Asian actor in Hollywood was a struggle because they only represented about 1.5% of the total working actors and major roles were scarce. So Lewis did feel that he could be one of the rare examples of success, so he was not particularly dismayed at the beginning, but he did continue to work hard to try to make it in Hollywood, and he did stunts, and he did bit TV appearances, but those large roles did, as his father had warned, remain elusive, to the point where he actually did contemplate leaving acting behind to work in the industry more behind the scenes instead. However, things did eventually break his way. The roles did get bigger for him, and so therefore he was prime and ready to star in a major motion picture. Now, Juan felt Louis Tan could give the right amount of grounded humanity and approachability for Cole Young, the character, mixed with this physicality that was necessary to perform his own martial arts moves as well as his stunts. And though Tan was offered the role, the starring role, in this big motion picture, he was still reticent because video game adaptations did carry a bad reputation. And if he was going to accept, he wanted to be sure that whoever was behind it was going to make a good film instead of just a quick buck off of a popular property. So Tan received a phone call from McCoy personally to explain his philosophy of what he wanted to do with the Mortal Kombat film. So McCoy talked to him about what he was going to do, and he played an excerpt from the score. And that's when Tan was moved by the power of this score and the tastefulness with which it was presented. And he was sold just by that score alone to push him to take his first lead performance in a film. So Tan trained extensively with stunt coordinator Kyle Gardner, as well as fight choreographer Chan Griffin, and it proved a challenge, though, in many respects because of the CG component of the films. This fight between Cole Young and the CG character of Goro specifically required him to fight in training with two separate stunt performers, one of them on stilts to match the size of this hulking four-armed adversary, while the other one was flinging punches down below. And once he had all of the moves worked out, then he had to perform all of that choreography without those stunt fighters because they were going to add the CG Goro in post-production. So very tricky to have to do with nobody actually there in front of him. Indonesian action star Joe Taslam, he was the one who made a splash in martial arts cinema with The Raid. He actually was the first actor that was cast for this reboot. He portrays Bihan, which is the first iteration of Sub-Zero, and Taslam became good friends with Tan when he was cast immediately. They started training together, they ate meals together. Even though they were meant to be enemies on the screen, they became good friends when they were off camera. And that actually worked to their benefit because this fostered trust for each other when they were going to do their fight scenes later. Australian actor Josh Lawson, he's known primarily for the Showtime comedy series House of Lies, he was allowed to use his background in improvisation and comedy to bring his own dialogue and special blend of characterizations to Kano. It was a little challenging for the other actors because it was hard for them to keep a straight face at times, but stunt doubles did come in handy for Lawson, who is not necessarily a trained martial artist, as well as fellow Aussie co-star Jennifer McNamee, who plays Sonya Blade. They were not trained prior to filming, so they did the best they could but there were some stunt doubles that were employed. Now for Jax, Makad Brooks studied extensive footage to capture the demeanor of this bruiser style of boxer that Jax would be, kind of like Joe Frazier and Mike Tyson. He just studied their swagger and their fighting techniques. 
And Max Wang, he was brought in to play the part of Kung Lao. He immediately made himself a cardboard facsimile when he found out he was going to portray him. The trademark hat, he began working immediately on choreographing his own character moves for Kung Lao. By the way, in April of 2021, Wang made his debut as a singer. His first single, called Flawless Victory, in reference, of course, to the iconic Mortal Kombat line from the game, that he also delivers in the movie. Now, the shoot for Mortal Kombat took place in 2019 at Adelaide Studios and external locations in South Australia nearby. Many actors were working in the Australian film industry, including the aforementioned Jessica McNamee, who puts on this American accent to play special ops U.S. military operative Sonia Blade. And they used a lot of real picturesque locations in South Australia. They had never been filmed in before, so this was going to be a completely unique look for this film. Abandoned mines and quarries near Adelaide. Actual locations and live effects work were emphasized whenever possible, and they were trying to use real environments, some that they actually created actual ice-encrusted spaces within using kind of melted plastic and glass to look like ice, but... They wanted things to look as real as it could because they didn't want it to get too CG. Now, McCoy cites that his experience with commercials, those gave him some very early experience working with a lot of revered video game characters like these, so he knew he had to treat them with respect. Unlike the two theatrically released Mortal Kombat films of the 1990s, 2021's Mortal Kombat is going to deliver the graphic levels of violence that people enjoy in the video game, most notably the notorious fatalities. Now, there are small nods to the 1995 film for those fans who like those films too, mostly in dialogue like, it has begun. McCoy and the producers wanted to be just as boldly violent as the game. They had to be judicious, though, because what was considered fine for mature audiences within a computer-generated character video game might be easily NC-17 if you're depicting real actors getting those fatalities done. Certain finishing moves, they might be over the line. So those used in the film, you know, they might not be allowed when the target is a human being versus some sort of otherworldly nemesis. So they had to be very judicious about when and with whom they did those fatalities. Mortal Kombat was initially scheduled for a March 5th, 2021 release. It moved ahead to January 15th before eventually getting released on April 8th, 2021 internationally and April 23rd in theaters and the HBO Max platform in the United States. Now, the success of Crazy Rich Asians and Black Panther did flip the notion that successful films needed at least one white lead performer to financially succeed. Now, Johnny Cage, he's a natural lead character. He's absent from this film altogether, as well as the tournament itself. You would expect to see that, but it's not here. McCoy and company deliberately kept Johnny Cage out because he had such a larger-than-life personality, and Cage would have shifted way too much focus away from Cole Young's story arc. And also, filling in some of that braggadocio that Johnny Cage would have had is Kano, so you would have had two white characters with plenty of that larger-than-life egotism and comic relief in this film, in one film, so they didn't want it to completely get away from the story arc that they were trying to present for the first film. Now, Greg Russo happened to conceive of the reboot as the first of a trilogy, so he wanted to set this film prior to the tournament. The second film would be the tournament, and then the third film would be the aftermath. So there's no tournament here, so Mortal Kombat delivers plenty of action in its second half despite it, though. You have a lot of prolonged melees punctuated by those gruesome fatalities. Producer Todd Garner considers the demand for Johnny Cage as a big reason that the studio and fans might come back for more. So this was kind of a gamble. They would keep Johnny Cage out, 
hoping that this film would be popular enough that people would clamor for more and they would clamor for Johnny Cage and that would push it over the finish line to get into production. You know, they hoped that the fans would like the first film for the suits at Warner Brothers to allow an expansion to the universe. Similar to Marvel, they wanted this to spin off not just into a sequel, but to other properties as well. Delve deeper into the Mortal Kombat mythology with maybe a mini series for HBO Max or maybe solo stories, solo movies of some of the more popular characters like Cabal or Liu Kang and the Monks or maybe a war film that featured Sonya Blade and Jax. Garner envisioned future entries with somebody like Ryan Reynolds, maybe playing Johnny Cage or Gal Gadot as Kitana, who also is not in this film. Maybe they could get solo adventures before they join. Taslin did reveal that his contract includes his involvement for up to four sequels. So there was baked in the notion that this was going to continue beyond this movie, even though they tried to downplay it in interviews in the media. McCoy revealed that he would return if he felt that the script was good enough for the second film. Now, Mortal Kombat, when it was released, it earned about $125 million in theaters worldwide. Now, that is not a lot of money, at least lately. But given that, you know, we have COVID-19 restrictions and fears all over the world, and it was launched simultaneously on HBO Max in the U.S., and that meant that there were high-definition pirated copies of the film released immediately because of that launch. You know, that actually is pretty good money, and it was bringing in a lot of people to HBO Max as subscribers. So, you know, you have to counterbalance that. Now, as far as what I think about the film, well, as talented as Louis Tan is as a, an actor and a martial artist, I think, well, his Cole Young character does feel very bland and generic. Maybe Cole Young is just a little too boring to carry such a high-octane movie franchise with that character. And the film does start with a more interesting story, I feel, in medieval Japan with Cole's ancestor, Hanzo Hisashi, and his family's extermination at the hands of Bihan, Sub-Zero. More interesting, I think, would be Hanzo's torment in Netherrealm and then his turn to become Scorpion, although that was already chronicled in Mortal Kombat Legends Scorpion's Revenge, which I talked about on the last episode. But instead, Scorpion appears kind of like a deus ex machina during the climax for very little emotional payoff of what they were intending to do. It feels more like a rehashing of Marvel's formula for the Avengers film, but even more superficially because we never had prior films to build up these characters and to really care about in this film. So it's a diversion. It's not necessarily as emotionally impacting as they probably were trying to do. I do think that Mortal Kombat will likely find a much more receptive audience among people who already carry strong feelings for these characters. If you're a fan of the video games especially one who's been clamoring for somebody to make a film that contained the graphic fatalities of the games, you're going to get that here. You might be pleased by all of that. I think if you're not into the mythos of Mortal Kombat, if you're coming in without any kind of pre-knowledge, you might find you know these characterizations are a bit thin. It can get tiresome. The fight sequences, while they are very well choreographed, they're too rife with CG and fake blood to approach as completely impressive. So... But despite some laughs here and there and some pretty good fight sequences, it's good eye candy. I'm going to shade for a first-time watch just on the side of two and a half stars out of four, which basically puts it kind of on par for me with the 1995 film, which was deliberately goofy. This one, it can be goofy as well, but I don't know that they were necessarily trying to intentionally make it as campy as the 90s films. But I do think that there is promise here, especially if you can delve a little deeper into the characters than what you get here. So two and a half stars at least for the debut of Mortal Kombat 2021 version. And that ends Mortal Kombat 
for now. Now, there might be, like I mentioned, a sequel to this film. I may cover that, depending on whether Kasnoff is still listed as the executive producer or it still ties in somehow, in some form or fashion, with those 1990s films. There also is going to be a sequel to the film I just mentioned, the animated feature called Mortal Kombat Legends Scorpion's Revenge. I think in late August is when the second film in that animated series is going to take place. I don't know if I'm going to be covering that. I did cover Scorpion's Revenge because it had the same voice actor for Goro that was in the 90s films. I don't know that Goro is going to make a reappearance here, so it awaits to be seen. If they do tie it with the 90s films, I will cover it. But if not, I guess you'll have to go elsewhere for other takes on that film. As far as what I'm going to be covering next week, well, we're going to go back to the 1990s. To 1994, in fact. For the closest thing that you could get to a Mortal Kombat film, I think, is Street Fighter. The film that was written and directed by Stephen E. D'Souza, featuring Jean-Claude Van Damme and Raul Julia, Kylie Minogue, etc., All of that will be covered on the next episode. So if you haven't seen Street Fighter in a while, or if you haven't seen it at all, I do encourage you to check out that film. But don't blame me if you come away thinking it's the cheesiest thing you've ever seen, because it might be. But I will be reviewing that in depth, the making of, as well as what I think of it on the next episode. Street Fighter from 1994 on the next episode. So check that out. If you want to get in touch with me, if you have any comments about the Mortal Kombat series, or if you have any requests about where I should go from here besides Street Fighter, you can write to me. You can find my contact information at my website. Quipster.net is where to go. Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R.net. Links to my Twitter feed, my Facebook page, my Instagram as well. Don't forget Around the World in 80s Movies if you like this show. But until then, thank you so much for joining me as we go to the 90s and beyond. Love is victory.